0: Blah, 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 blah. Oh, you're in for such a treat today. It was a bustling marketplace of ideas.
1: Point of privilege. Quick Uh, point of personal privilege. Um, Guys, uh, first of all, James Jackson, Sacramento, he, him. I... Just want to say, can we please keep the chatter to a minimum? I'm one of the people who's very, very prone to sensory overload. There's a lot of whispering and chatter going on. It's making it very difficult for me to focus. Ow! It's affecting my ability to focus. Thank you. It's making it very difficult for me to focus. It's affecting my ability to focus. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Okay. Is there a speaker against named chapter, pronoun?
2: Point of personal privilege. Yes. Please do not use gendered language to to address everyone.
1: Run okay. from me? Quick point of privilege once again. Hi, James Jackson, Sacramento DSA, he, him. You have made me very angry. I have already asked people to be mindful of the chatter of their comrades who are sensitive to sensory overload and that goes double for the heckling and the hissing. It is also triggering to my anxiety. Very angry indeed. Be comradely isn't just for like, you know, let's keep things civil or whatever. It's so that people aren't going to get triggered and so that it doesn't affect their performance as a delegate. Okay? Your need to express yourself is important but your need to express yourself should not trump or over I
3: see that no one's clapping for me. It could be because I'm not engaging, but it also is because everyone's doing this, and that's really important.
1: What the
0: hell
3: is supposed to do, you moron? We have a lot of disabled comrades. We have a lot of disabled comrades. I just wanted to belong. For once, I felt I was with intellectual equals. We have a lot of disabled comrades. (laughs) We have a lot of disabled comrades.
2: (laughs) Questions are decadent.
3: and uh, a lot of those are invisible disabilities who don't know who it is uh, that is having a more difficult time navigating this space and this space was not created with all of their needs in mind so it's up to us to modify that space to make sure that uh, everybody's able to move in the ways that they need to move Um, and and additionally with the, um, the noise issue like avoid hissing, avoid waving banners, right? Um, because those there's, there's all sorts of things. If you don't know what to do, show up these, right? I'm sure there's lots of ways that we can communicate to each other without needing to rely on something uh, that's going to hurt somebody else. Come on,
2: squeal, squeal. <laughs>
3: We have quiet rooms that are available. There's a range of options of these, right? Please don't go in that space with anything that's like an aggressive scent, for instance, right? We don't want to put people in stressful situations that they don't consent to, right? Yes, Yes.
2: Little pigs, little pigs, let
3: me come in. There are um, right-wing infiltrators who are trying to get in here. Here's Johnny! But it's going to be really traumatic for people if we're not making an affirmative effort to de-escalate each other and de-escalate ourselves, right? Take a deep breath. You are so brilliant. feel better before you say anything? Don't really talk to anybody who doesn't have a credential, especially if you claim to be from the press. You have no idea who that person is. Please do not talk to anybody who identifies themselves as a member of the press without having uh, credentials. Don't talk to cops. Don't talk to MAGA assholes. Oh, we're almost there. Just, uh, this, but thank you. Um, we are going to be visited tomorrow, um, by some MAGA protesters. Um, is there anybody here who's done abortion clinic escort work? By all means, don't talk to cops if there are cops there for any reason at all, right? Um, and if you do see someone talking to cops, uh, let the marshals, no, um, we are, we are safe and we are strong because there's power in collective, uh, in collective work. Thank you, comrade. Escapingthecave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network, and at Pod on Twitter.
1: My
2: mom says it won't last. Your mom is an alcoholic.
1: Escaping the cave, and I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. That's Todd, Todd Villa. It's Todd Villa X-Pod. <laughs>
0: Howdy, Tanzilla Files, welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Tanzilla X Pod at ChristopherMedia.net network. You can also get my website at uh, escapingthecave.com and Twitter. Yeah, no, you don't need to bother with Twitter. Still there, technically. Just don't. Hi! <laughs> I'm your congenial host, Todd. This episode's been delayed a little bit. A few days. Trying to put things together, get things straight. And decompress a little bit after last week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I finally watched that video. I had no fewer than, I think, four or five people. Maybe four. Four people sent me that damn thing. The Democratic Socialists of America, their mighty convention. This is AOC's party. This is what she identifies herself with. (laughs) I was watching the video. And, uh, funny as it is, I'm triggered. Don't trigger me. I am sensory over... It. Ah, yes, gender language. Did you hear his voice shaking? I mean, is this the mental instability that we're supposed to be keeping an eye out for these days? Whoever that guy was sounded like he was about ready to snap. I don't want to see him in Walmart next time I go shopping for coffee. That's all I'm saying. Holy God. Anyway, I'm watching this. And I've got this story that I'd love to tell somebody, but it's a long one. I'll tell it some other time in its entirety, maybe over a glass, a box of wine. (laughs) But I was involved with Occupy, Occupy Wall Street. I got in on the ground floor of that back in 2011 when I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I fully supported what the original movement itself was about, getting money out of politics. Once upon a time, in a land not so far away, I consider that to be the primary issue plaguing the American political system. Money in politics. That you can't do anything until you get special corporate interest money out of the political system. This is something that the Tea Party agreed on. Most of the people on the left used to agree on. Occupy Wall Street started out articulating that very, very, very well. It lasted About six weeks, until MoveOn.org. They moved on, all right, right on in, and co-opted the Occupy movement, turned it into a left-wing organization, carrying the water of the Democratic Party and liberal politics in general, beyond the original intent of the movement. Anyway, I was involved in that on the ground floor within probably a month, six weeks, of the original Occupy in New York City. I joined the organization, In Santa Fe, New Mexico, where we were living at the time. Oh, my God. I have never been more disillusioned of anything in my life. One of the primary reasons was I would sit there. I would go down to the park, this park, (laughs) downtown. It wasn't even really downtown Santa Fe. It was kind of on the fringe of downtown, uh, this rail yard district. And I go down and hang out at this park where they had all these tents set up and they're doing their little protests and trying to make themselves visible and all that. (laughs) And I learned immediately that the people, these righteous, idealistic protesters down there in Santa Fe, had their tents set up in this rail yard thing, this park, but would leave them empty and go occupy their own beds at night. Not all of them. There were a few who stuck around and actually slept in the tents. Not most of them. Most of them went home every night, left the tents there, so everybody who drove by and saw their righteous display of activism would think that somebody was sleeping in those tents. However, there were occasionally people sleeping in those tents. Sometimes they were activists. You know what they were other times? Some of Santa Fe's more savvy homeless population would come down and overrun that site. Almost every night, they would climb in the tents, smelling like pee. You know how homeless people smell, the Occupy protesters? They didn't really care for their tents smelling like pee when they came in the next morning. The homeless people didn't give a shit. They went down to take advantage of these naive, useful idiots who were feeding them, who were you know, giving them all the rhetoric about, oh, how we want to help you and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, give me a sandwich, and I'm going to go sleep in that tent, and then in the morning, fuck you. This was the response they got to it. And they couldn't do anything about it. What are they going to do? What's Occupy going to do? They're occupying public space. If they get you know overrun by hordes of homeless people, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to call the cops? <laughs> no, you're not. Definitely not. Because you're not really supposed to be there anyway. And the homeless people knew it and would go down and just totally fleece these fuckers, they didn't care about Occupy's politics. They didn't care about any of the rhetoric. We want to help. Fuck you. You don't want to help us. You're just a fucking political organization. Peter, give me some money. Give me a sandwich and I'm going to sleep in that tent and fuck you if you try to stop me. Homeless people aren't always stupid. They have a way of seeing through, but they deal with bullshit every day. They, they deal with people trying to manipulate them every single day. Do you think they couldn't see through that? Well, they did. And Occupy had no way of dealing with it. None. They had no plan. They had no course of action whatsoever. They just had to tolerate it every day. And despite the rhetoric, they weren't happy about it. They were not happy about it at all. Anyway, That was a complete tangent. That's not what I was going to talk about. What I was going to talk about in relation to this video, I've been dying to tell that story. I ain't lying. (laughs) I've told it a number of times, but I've been dying to tell it here. Anyway, what I was going to talk about here was you hear towards the end when the guy's saying, well, I, I, no one's clapping. That could be because I'm not engaging, but it could be because everybody's doing this. Do you know what he's talking about? It's these stupid little hand gestures where you're supposed to, like, I don't know, Make like puppet talking signs with your hands instead of clap. They have this entirely made up system of uh, crowd communication with a speaker. So you don't make noise. Just like you said in this video. And they were doing this as part of Occupy. It was part of the learning curve to get involved with this, this activist organization. I didn't realize they were democratic socialist shit. I didn't understand any of that at the time. I was just sitting here trying, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck does this stupid shit have to do with money in politics? What the fuck, man? I couldn't believe it. I could not believe the stupidity of what I was seeing. (laughs) It was dumbfounding. It's one of those one of those things where you, you sit out and if you're thinking human, I mean, we we've evolved over a few thousand years doing shit like that. Yay! And these buffoons, these fart sniffing monsters, decide that they want to just completely revamp that. Why? Yeah, I'm triggered. I'm triggered. Oh, don't trigger me. It's <sighs> sensory overload. That I, I don't. I don't I seem to remember now. This was 2011. It's 2019. It's been eight years uh, in October since I was involved with these guys. I don't remember them telling me why this was happening. I think it had something to do, though, with that. (laughs) We don't want to interrupt people. We don't want to psychologically assault people improperly. One of the stupidest things I've ever seen. I have, I I swear to God, I cannot think of too many things. I guess if I sat here with a pencil and a piece of scratch paper, I may be able to come up with things that are more ridiculous than that. But off the top of my head, no. The pretension, the fart sniffery of these people. I could not stand, I could not believe that I found myself involved with this group of people. And it didn't last very long. It didn't last very long at all. I think seeing those tents sitting there empty. Realizing what was going on. And understanding that these fuckers were all about show. And all about making it appear. Mwah, mwah, that they're sleeping in their tents. That they're uh, sacrificing their comfort every night for this righteous cause. And then they were going home and hopping down on their Serta. Every single night when I saw that. And then I saw how move on was taking this entire, just co-opting the entire thing. Well, how are we going to get the vote out and make sure everybody votes for Obama in 2012? It was 20, yeah, 2011. So it was the next year. And make sure that Obama gets his reelection. That was their main concern. had nothing to do. all of a sudden, had nothing to do with money and politics. whatsoever? frickin' ever. It became a liberal organization. And as soon as I saw that happen, and as soon as I realized what happened, I, I I extracted myself quickly. Never showed up again. Got the fuck away from there as far as I could. And to me, and I would hope to you, if you really investigate what Occupy became after October of 2011, that brand is sour. And that, what we heard at the beginning of the show, is what was occupying Occupy <laughs> in 2011. The Democratic Socialists. I can tell you. I can tell you. I, I avoided watching that video. I was still a little wound up after Dayton, El Paso, and after fighting through the media coverage last week. And not really the media coverage as much as the stupid discussions that I was hearing and seeing. Not from the media so much as it was from uh, Jacques Populi. You guys. Well, not you guys. No, not the Todd listener. Not the loyal listener. Of course not you, specifically. But the public in general. Twitter, Facebook, all that shit. The same recycled shit over and over and over again. I was wound the fuck up. What I should have done last week was not record anything. I should have just taken the week off. But I finally calmed down a little bit over the weekend, this past weekend. And finally went and watched that piece A pretentious shit. These are the people? These are the people that want to run things? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? You can't organize yourselves properly enough to deflate a Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloon. I wouldn't trust you with that task, Oh my God! I'm sensory overload. I'm gonna have a meltdown over gender, fucking pronouns. Oh, don't clap. Don't do this. You gotta do your little hands. Who the fuck are you? Who the fuck would ever, ever entrust you with anything if you're incapable of running your own lives? I don't even know how to how to phrase that in a. In a sensible fashion, if you can't even get your own psychology together to be able to deal with that, how the fuck are you going to run anything anything of substance? How? And this doesn't even get into the abstract concept of social justice. Oh, justice. Justice
3: determined and enforced by me.
0: No way in hell. I originally assumed that that video... Uh, was fake. I was like, nobody is this fucking stupid, right? If it wasn't fake, I figured maybe these were plants. People who sort of snuck in there as delegates got up, took the mic just to make the entire organization look bad. No, that's not the case here. These are the actual democratic socialists at the convention. They haven't distanced themselves from this at all. At all. (sighs) The only thing I could find, I can't remember the outlet that I got it from, but i couldn't find it it wasn't exactly a reputable outlet so i sort of cross referenced it with a few other ones but neither cnn nor msnbc had this up that i could find anywhere don't you find that peculiar that msnbc wouldn't have wouldn't have covered and wouldn't have this readily available video of the democratic socialist convention anywhere to be found msnbc really even NBC understands how ridiculous these cunts are. A curious omission on their part, I think. Anyway, I finally watched the damn thing first time through. I could I could only stomach thirty seconds of it before I just sort of threw the phone down in disgust. Now you just heard the the, the audio here <laughs> with a little decoration by yours truly. Uh, but if you haven't seen this yet, go check out the video because the guy who is doing most of the speaking is dressed up like Che Guevara slash Fidel Castro. He's got like these faux army fatigues on as sort of a an explicit tribute. <laughs> Castro or Guevara or something like that. He's trying to per- portray himself as a um, young man who's continuing the revolutionary tradition. Oh. And the second thing was the use of the word comrade. What the entire fuck? These are the people who don't want you to associate (laughs) democratic socialism with communism yet, 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 yet. You've got Cicero here dressed up like Che Guevara. Minus the beard, he probably couldn't grow one. And they're using comrade over and over and over again. He even used, did you catch it toward the end, toward maybe three quarters of the way through, he said comradely. He was telling people what it meant to be comradely. Comradely. (laughs) Like neighborly, but comradely. What the fuck? Who are you people? What the fuck are you? How do you take yourself seriously? How? How do you expect anyone else to take you fucking seriously? How? How? Tanzillax at gmail.com. I really, really want to fucking hear this. How the hell is anybody supposed to take you seriously after that? After seeing that? It's going to come out eventually. I know the hand bullshit isn't staged because I've personally seen it. This isn't manufactured. This isn't a piece of disinformation. This is what they are. How is anybody supposed to take you seriously? I will vote for the pussy grabber 1,000 times before I vote for anything, before I even remotely by the act of giving it my vote, support anything anywhere near that. And later on, apparently they did get some sort of business done (laughs) at their convention, and they decided that they would align themselves with Antifa, supporting Antifa's general goal. it wasn't a blow-away vote. I don't remember the vote total. There was a a whole shitload of people there voting. And it was rather close because they they were afraid. A lot of people were afraid that they would too closely align themselves, therefore associate themselves with Antifa. Yet the resolution passed anyway. They're cool with that as a group. I don't care how close the vote was. It passed. Therefore, they have aligned themselves now. These little, oh my fucking God. (sighs) these sensory overloaded children who are having conniption fits over gendered language have aligned themselves with Antifa. Fuck you. (sighs) No way in hell, man. I I tell you, 2016's batshit worm (laughs) has finally fully turned, hasn't it? If this gives you, or your own sense of, quote-unquote, superiority, a massive chubby, and this is what you truly support, I don't know what to say. You're in the wrong place. (laughs) I want to be scared here. I want to be disturbed that this is getting a voice. You know, I think about people like AOC and the rest of the squad. The squad. The Sacred Cow squad. I think about them, right? Uh, But the thing is, is that I don't think people are, honestly, uh, hmm, I have to be careful here because I said this about Trump in 2016. I don't think people are this stupid. I really don't. I I mean, I like to think, at least people that are listening to this show and people that I associate with, most of my quote-unquote friends are not drooling retards. (laughs) Therefore, choose to believe, I choose to believe, rather, that even if you're somehow still stubbornly mired in this festering pit of radicalizing progressivism, you're going to be coming around soon enough. This has got to trigger some sort of shame reflex in your mind, right? Wait, uh, that's no. Oh, oh, oh! I know a lot of people are going to see that. I know a lot of people are going to listen to this anti-male rhetoric. This white man, white devil rhetoric as well. A lot of people are going to be coming around to this. They may not fully support Trump. They may abstain. They may just stay home. I've got more on this coming later on in the show, the main topic, and believe it or not, this isn't it. But the main chunk of the show is going to address some of that. A lot of people are going to abstain, and a lot of people, me possibly included, are just going to go cast a vote for Trump to vote against that. You nominate something like Gillibrand... Or something completely off the deep end? I cannot imagine I'm the only one who's thinking, yeah, no, fuck this. Uh, Pussy Grabber 2020. Pussy Grabber or Romper Room? Come on. The Democratic Socialist Nursery? Jesus Christ, you got to be kidding me. Howie Mandel, is he going to voice your your spots for you? (laughs) Remember the baby voice he used to do? That'd be great.
3: You should vote for Christian Gillibrand in 2020.
0: Howie Mandel, are you available? Are you available for work? Yeah, I'm pretty sure of it. I, I know there are others out there who are sort of teetering on making this courageous decision <laughs> to wait till midnight and sneak out of Jonestown under the cover of darkness and go find someplace else. My friends, do it. And no, despite what you've been led to believe, it doesn't mean that you've suddenly come to adore Cittolini either. That's simply some hallucinogenic congregational fuckery that you've accidentally swallowed, along with some of the shitty craft beer and organic kale samples along the way. That's not the case. Because you're against him doesn't mean you have to be for that. This all ties in in different ways to what I'm going to get into here as we move back to... Uh, the propaganda theme uh, today. But I want to reiterate the Titanic is taking you nowhere good. <laughs>
2: Is not good for you. Too many women will drive a man insane. Too many women will drive a man insane. I'm telling you, boys, it don't pay to play the game. You can have a score and get a dozen more. You'll never be the same as you were before, cause too many women will drive a man insane. I'm telling you, boys, it don't pay to play the game.
0: Man, I love that old stuff.
2: It's
0: a guy named Jerry Irby. Too many women. It's a problem. I'm telling you. Drive a man insane. It's the Escaping the Cave podcast. ChristopherMedia.net is the network. You can also hit my website at Chris. Uh, I'm sorry, at, uh, escapingthecave.com. Incidentally, speaking of too many women, Chris has a uh, PayPal link up there. If you'd like to donate to the Podcaster Abortion Fund, Something to say to have too many women well it just don't pay cause too many women will drive a man insane I mean it's hell there's so many groupies I mean I don't have this problem <laughs> I'm happily domestic domestic partnered <laughs> partnership But yeah he's got that up there so if you'd like to uh, contribute to Chris and Rich's abortion now fund you don't want to see him go bankrupt, right? Too
2: women—that's the trouble with you. Say, too many women will drive a man insane. I'm telling you, boys, it don't pay to play the game.
0: Little levity's nice. All right, this is the morning of uh, August fifteenth, twenty nineteen. Early, early morning. I record these things in the middle of the night. It's Thursday morning, right? I think so. I lose track of the days here and there. We're going to get back into the propaganda theme today. I talked about, uh, last time was the uh, alienation theme. How people are sort of uh, separated from who they are by propaganda. In other words, how they sort of alienate themselves from themselves. And allow themselves to sort of be inseminated by somebody else's ideas, somebody else's doctrine, and uh, stuff like that. And this sort of continues the theme. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about uh, the psychic dissociation effect of propaganda. Now, this is from Jacques Ellul's book, Propaganda. Uh, I've been talking about this. I may be on this book for a long time. Once I get through this, I have uh, the next two episodes lined up, outlined already. These are going to be some of the most important aspects of this entire thing. What propaganda does to you psychologically without you knowing it. There are a lot of things in this one today that will scream at you if you're paying any any kind of attention to anything socially or politically these days. The two after this, holy shit. It's disturbing how prescient this stuff is. 55 years old, written in 1965. The rest of the episodes this week, starting with this one, moving through the next two, are incredibly important. Taking myself out of it, taking my ability to convey this information out of it, just the sheer information, the basic information in and of itself, if you have any concern about this, if you think about it at all, and if you're still listening, I'm assuming you are, you're going to want to listen to this. If you can't pick the book up, if you don't have the time to read the book, I understand that a lot of people are busy. They don't have time to sit down and read stuff like this and contemplate and ponder stuff like this. I understand that. If you can't do that, which is the best way to get this information, far better than listening to me babble, I would highly recommend if you are concerned about this stuff to listen to the next few podcasts. I'm not getting paid here. I'm not selling advertising. I I get the downloads. I don't get anything from it. I'm paying to do this. (laughs) Okay? I'm trying to build a brand here. I'm not trying to build a business. It's important. I promise you. Anyway, the psychic uh, dissociation effect of propaganda. This is the uh, next section in this book, The Psychological Effects of Propaganda. That's the uh, section that I'm drawing from. And he starts out by saying that uh, propaganda puts the individual through endless periods of excitation and depression, alternating cycles, periods of excitation and depression. And it's caused by exposing him to alternate propaganda themes. Does this sound familiar? Uh, for example, alternating those of terror, fear, oh my God, this could happen, and self assertion, how to activize. Uh, the result is a continuous emotional roller coaster, and it can become very dangerous uh, for some individuals who are exposed to it. And he'll get into why. And one thing you've got to remember is the overexcitement that propaganda triggers. It does. It triggers an overexcitement in people. It sends them overboard. It doesn't matter what side of this you're looking at. In our binary culture, our binary propaganda culture, our binary alternating themes of propaganda culture, we're evenly split down the middle. I can think of no better example, no better extreme example of what he's talking about with alternating themes. And then this. Each side uses the other as the contrasting theme to their own. It's obvious. It's self-evident, man. you got to remember that. The over-excitement that propaganda triggers. The propagandee is constantly urged into action. and He's often prevented from accomplishing what he wants to, what he's, what he's urged to do. He can't do it. He can't pull it off. His certainties are absolute as well. The propagandee's certainties, they're absolute. Rock-solid, chiseled in granite. Chiseled in cognitive stone, these certainties of his. He is constantly overexcited by these certainties and his ever-renewed aggression toward the symbols and members of his own culture. leads him quickly into disintegration as a result of the extreme discrepancies between this overexcitement and his social-slash-cultural group. Like the constant psychological shock of contradictory propaganda, this can be one of the causes of what he's calling psychic dissociation. Dissociation. If you're wondering what that means, that'll become obvious here in a minute. I promise. Now, ignoring the obvious dissociations and disconnects in the propagandee between public opinion and his silent, private, often suppressed, personal opinion... Propaganda produces a deep separation between the two. Propaganda produces a deep separation between public opinion and the silent, private, often suppressed, personal opinion. What you really think deep down inside. There's a disconnect, a dissociation between what you actually think and public opinion, the opinion of your group, your echo chamber, your mob, your doctrine, your ideological religion. Now, perhaps I seem a little animated when I talk about this. That's because I have experienced this personally. I was somehow able to keep tethered to my disgust for, I don't know, this prevailing public opinion, right? While I was immersed first in the anti-Bush cult back in the first decade of the century, and then after getting caught up in the ideological riptide, dragging me further and further to the left once I joined the anti-Palin, anti-teabagger movement. And still, to my credit, I was able to hold on to that once again after spending three months inside the resistance after Trump's inauguration and before they finally went too far off the rails for me to ignore it any further. (sighs) What I'm talking about here are these ideas of white privilege. This is my personal thing. This is the one thing that I... Not one thing, but these are the... Examples of things that I never lost contact with, that I disagreed vehemently with their ideas on this. I didn't say anything most of the time. You don't, and I'll get to that in a little while. Most of the time, you can't say anything. Eh, Jeff? You can't say anything because you're going to get shouted down. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be called a Trump bot. You're going to be called a fascist these days. If you argue with any of these things, that's how it works. So you suppress it. For me personally, to my credit, I'm not gloating here, well, much, but I was able to hold on to this. My disgust for this whole idea of white privilege, this whole idea that men are beasts, right? Remember I talked last week about watching that friend of mine, quote-unquote friend, this former friend of mine, apologize for his gender to some random lesbian at a bar at a hostel in Mexico. And what happened as a result of that? I never lost that. Somehow, I still was able to keep a cognitive connection to it. And thank God, thank God I didn't suppress that too much. A lot of people do. Another one was the blacks can't be racist thing. Redefining racism. We talked about that last week as well. And there were a few very specific moments. Very specific moments in addition to this thing with the dude down in Mexico. These tangible single events that kept me tethered to my own Opinion. What I actually thought as opposed to the group. A lot of people will just shove that down, they'll swallow it, and they'll put a wall around it. So it never has to create any cognitive dissonance within them when they hear about it from the adopted religion. That is dissociation. That is the disconnect between the public opinion and your personal private opinion. What you really, really think about something. He gets into things. These are incredibly important, especially one of these. He talks about aligned consciousness. And he says this is a term that's frequently used in the Stalin regime, or was frequently used in the Stalin regime, referring to the, quote, conscious citizen of the socialist epoch. He lives in official truth. He lives in official truth, performs a consistent action, and is completely socialized, in the context of socialism. He lives an official truth. He lives a disseminated official party-line truth. He lives the truth of the doctrine, or the system, or the party. It's also a creation of propaganda, obviously. Now, beneath that, exists what he calls the premeditated consciousness incredibly important here why because this is where heights elephant resides in stampedes in the premeditated consciousness this is the level at which according to allul the individual tethers his identity and personalizes the data of propaganda and persuades himself that the regime slash party is good has god on its side It's also the level at which he works out his justifications. I need an elephant sound effect on my board. I'll have that for you next show. (laughs) It's where he works out his justifications and decisions for behavior, which will conform to the social demands in such a way as to make him least aware of his twisted conscience. How he's contorting how he feels and how he thinks in relation to what he feels, really feels deep down inside. And finally, at the bottom level, this is the one that I really, really identify with. He calls the secret conscience. I have termed this the inner child, the secret life. It's the real secret self, buried deep down in that cave, way down inside of you. Or us, I should say. This is who I'm trying to get a message to with all this. This is the person I'm talking to. This secret conscience is who I am speaking to directly with these podcasts. I am trying to reach you. Can you hear me? Hello, McFly, can you hear me? You are the one I'm trying to reach. I'm trying to throw you a life preserver. A life raft. Maybe you're stuck up on, I don't know, down in a crevice. I'm throwing you a lifeline, a rope. I would like to extract you from that crevasse. The Secret Conscience. It consists of the refusals, the protestations, the judgments against the regime or party. These are the conflicts you have with your own doctrine, or with the imposed doctrine. In my experience, this was the conflict I had with having somebody apologize for their own gender, even though I was a liberal. It violated my, quote-unquote, secret conscience because I never talked about it. It's incredibly important to maintain that, to get in touch with it and not suppress it until dead. It also combines with a tendency towards cynicism or, in the Soviet example, remember, the Soviet Union, religion, not a good thing. It combined with a tendency towards cynicism or a belief in that era, in that locale, a belief in Christianity. So you still believed in Jesus, even though the state told you not to. What do you do? Do you suppress it or do you hold on to it? That's an extreme example, but I think you could apply that to multiple aspects of the doctrine and the ideology of the propaganda that you disagree with and not become fully inseminated with someone else's ejaculate. The secret consciousness is completely Repressed, encircled, and constrained in someone who's been fully propagandized. Struggles against prohibitions against itself. Suppressions against itself. Against the secret conscience. Things like trained and triggered spontaneous impulses. How they trigger you to do certain things, or to say certain things, or to act a certain way. Cognitive dissonance. It's suppressed. Behind this encircled and constrained state in which the secret conscience lies. And it's also, I'm adding this, this isn't his, this is mine. It's also kept in check by the what I call the Ministry of Standards and Practices. Friends, family, peer group, the echo chamber. People who keep you in line because you like them, I mean, they're part of your group. You respect these people, you like these people, you want to belong with these people, therefore you won't cross these people. They become the Ministry of Standards and Practices. I've been talking about this since 2008. That's 11 years. I didn't just come up with this this week. Many, many applications of this secret conscience thing go far, far beyond propaganda. And maybe the other two as well. I'm concerned about this one because this is the one that I know. This is the inner voice that I've talked about for 10 years. This is Emerson's genius that he talks about in self-reliance. The inner voice. You. What you think. What's original to you when you move past conformity. That's what you're suppressing when you suppress the secret conscience. You. What is original in this universe to you and like no one else. And they're trying to suffocate that and force you into conformity, force you into thinking the right way. That's it. It's killing individuality. It's killing who you really are and replacing it with a fabricant. This is also the cradle of reason. Critical thought. It's the cradle of so many things. So, so many things. Again, it's the you of you. And unfortunately, if you want to use the catchphrase and the slogan, here's a good place to use it. It's almost always the real quote-unquote child in the psychological cage. Again, something I do not need a lul or anyone else to speak authoritatively about. I know what I'm talking about here. This was the foundation of my life for a long time. Bookmark that thought somewhere. Bookmark that thought. Just just make a little mental note in your mind that's going to come up again. Probably more in-depth than that. I need to keep moving, though. Uh, The dissociation between thought and action seems to be one of the most disturbing facts of our time, according to Alul. He says, Nowadays, and this is in 1965, he says, Man acts without thinking, and in turn, his thoughts can no longer be translated into action. Thinking has become a superfluous exercise. Without a reference to reality, it is purely abstract, internal, and detached. Without compelling force, it's more or less a game. Thinking. He says this is literature's domain. And he also says he's not referring to quote-unquote intellectual thought either, but to all thought. Whether it concerns work, politics, family life, whatever. He says, overall, thought and reflection have been rendered thoroughly pointless by the circumstances in which modern man lives and acts. He does not need to think in order to act. How many times do you have to think in order to act in your everyday life? I mean, really think. According to Alul, action is determined by the techniques a person uses and the sociological conditions in which he lives. He acts without really wanting to without ever reflecting on the meaning or the reasons for his actions. He claims that the situation is a result of the whole evolution of our society. And the two decisive factors in this evolution and in this situation are the mechanization of work and propaganda. Those two things. I will delve into the mechanization of work here, but obviously, needs a caveat, this requires an update. Because things have changed dramatically in fifty-four years. This is not the same society in which he was writing about, but I think it still applies on a lot of levels, and you'll see why. The mechanization of work is based entirely on dissociation, according to Alul. Those who think, those who establish the schedules, those who set the norms never act. They're the supervisors. They don't ever if you worked in a factory, you know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> And those who act must do so according to the rules, the patterns, and the plans imposed on them from outside. They don't come up with their own plans, their own rules. They just execute somebody else's. They don't have to think. They just act. And above all, they must not reflect on their actions. Oh boy. Radio. I'll get to that in a minute. The modern ideal appears to be a reduction of action to complete automation. And uh, Alul says that this is considered to be a great benefit to the worker who can dream of, quote, other things while he's working. God, that never worked for me. That never worked for me. But this dissociation, which lasts eight hours a day, must necessarily affect all the rest of his behavior as well. Have your waking life. Now, for me, personally, <laughs> must not reflect on their actions. This is what drove me out of radio, was reflecting on my actions, rather than just going into the studio and entertaining people and and reading the liner cards and talking about how great this latest piece of shit song was. Uh, Sarah Parella, she's awesome. No, she wasn't. She sucked. I said so. Eve Six sucked. I said so. Rather than mindlessly going in and doing the job for which I'm being paid, I could not shut the brain off. I could not, definitely could not do this in the factories. I worked in factories for almost a decade before I got into radio. I know what I'm talking about here. I wanted to die every single day. I was drunk almost all the time that I wasn't working. Definitely on the weekends. Had I, if I would have stayed in these factory jobs and not put my mind to work on something, I would be dead now. Because I could not separate that. And I'm not saying this, I've mentioned this before, I know, and I'm not saying this to put myself on a pedestal. I envy people who can do this, who have the cognitive control to be able to just shut the fuck down for eight hours. I cannot do that. I cannot do that. The same thing happened in Santa Fe. Last radio gig was awesome. I was making good money, had an easy job, a cake job, in a wonderful location. I could not shut my brain off. I could not quit asking, what the fuck are we doing here? What are we doing with this? What is the point here? Are you sure that this is local, live and local radio? Is this really the evolution of radio, Skippy? How are you going to be relevant? I kept asking him that. How are you going to be relevant in 10 years, Skippy? If you don't start doing something original, how are you going to remain relevant with when radio goes the way of the blacksmith? I asked them almost every day. This is the owner of the radio station. He could not give me an answer. Nobody could ever give me an answer to that question, and most of them are out of radio now. One way or another, that radio station's doing pretty good out there, to their credit. But eventually, he got sick and tired of hearing. I wasn't pulling in the same direction as everybody else because I couldn't shut the brain off and just pull on the fucking tug. I couldn't tug on the rope in the same direction with everybody else without thinking about it. I became a nuisance, and they found a way to get rid of me. Do you blame them? Actually, did me a favor. I never really. Well, I did blame him for a while, but I don't blame him for that. Did me a favor. Really, they did. It forced me to to start thinking about other things. I kept asking myself, "Well, I was doing this, both this and the factory. What the fuck am I doing? What the fuck am I doing with myself? What is the point of this? To go to work, to take a check, to cash it, to go to the store, to pay the rent, wash, rinse, repeat. That's what life is." That's all it is until you get old and then you retire and your, your body's broken down and you can't live anyway? That's what the fuck I'm supposed to do with myself? No. No. I don't think so. But that's the thing they're trying to suppress here. They do not want you to reflect on anything. They want you to dream about what you're going to do with your paycheck. They want you to dream about what life's going to be like when you're retired at 65 and you've got a sore back and a bad knee. And you finally want to go climb up to Machu Picchu, but can't. That's what they want you to dream about. They do not want you reflecting either on the job or on your situation or your standard, your standing in life. Again, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal here. I, I admire people who can do that. Just go on with their lives and be happy that way. I do envy you. I'm not saying that facetiously. I'm not being a smartass here. I do. There's benefit to that. There's value to that. I can't do it. I need to move on. Uh, The other element that plays a decisive role in the dissociation between thought and action is, of course, propaganda. The theme of the podcast, the theme of this series of podcasts, he would like you to remember that propaganda seeks to induce action conformity and participation. Action conformity and participation. With as little thought as... Back to the work thing. With as little thought as possible. They don't want you analyzing their propaganda and their doctrine any more than Skippy wanted me to analyze his radio station. They don't want you thinking. They want good little worker bees. Disseminating the honey of propaganda for them. They want worker bees. Obeying commands of the queen. The propaganda queen. According to propaganda, it is useless, even harmful for man to think thinking prevents him from acting with required righteousness and simplicity thinking prevents him from acting with the required righteousness and simplicity righteousness and simplicity action must come directly from the depths of the unconscious it must release tension and most of all it must become a reflex I would like you to ponder what action means in 2019 with the technology that we've got shoved up our butts now. In yeah, 1965, things have changed a little bit. Technologically, things have changed. What is action now? Is it running to your Twitter account? Is it running to the Fox News feed on Facebook so you can own some Trump supporters? What is it? What is action today? I mean, we all know what Antifa does when they take to the streets. We've seen that. And we've seen what, you know, people you know, they 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 stand, chant, and applaud when they go to a political rally. Beyond that, what is action today? Is it disseminating propaganda, perhaps? It is it is it showing your allegiance? To one side or another? Is it waging rhetorical warfare in the virtual battlefield against the enemy? Is that political action these days? Is that the action triggered by propaganda these days? Maybe. Reflexive. How often do you find yourself outraged? I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. I don't care if you're on the left. I don't care if you're on the right. How many times do you find yourself reflexively picking up the keyboard or the phone To angrily punch something in there. To punch your opinion in there. To own somebody. To get your righteousness out there. How often do you do that? How often do you feel it? It doesn't matter if you suppress it. How often do you feel that reflex trying to take you in a direction that probably isn't yours? And how often does it feel good when you do surrender to it? Oh yeah. I know what I'm talking about here. You don't have to answer any of these questions. I'm not asking you directly. You don't even have to acknowledge I said it. If somebody's sitting next to you, just keep a stone-faced, like a poker face. No, no. Don't, don't don't bother to react. But you and I know. You and I know. That's the action. It has to come directly from the depths of the unconscious. It must release tension. That's the urge, the tension. You feel tension. You have to say something. I'm tense. I must release this. And it has to be a reflex. You have to reflexively pick up your keyboard, or more likely, in 2019, your phone, and release that tension. All this presumes that thought unfolds on an entirely unreal level. But the thought, the thought, uh, never engages in political decisions. It's always reflexive, and this, according to Alul, is in fact the case. That thought unfolds entirely on an unreal level, an abstract level, and never engages in political decisions. Therefore, no political thought that is at all coherent or original can possibly be applied what a man thinks is either totally without use or more often most often especially today what must remain unsaid i'll repeat that what a man thinks is either totally without use or most often especially today something that must remain unsaid it doesn't fit it's a turd in the propaganda punch bowl So it must be kept quiet. not going to single you out. I'm not going to put you on blast, Jeff, but you know what I'm talking about. Others' opinions, (laughs) yours and others' opinions, other people I've heard, not just you, Jay, other people have talked about their opinions of neo-feminism. Liberals. Loyal liberals have told and talked to me about their quiet opinions of neo-feminism and critical race theory as well. I know a lot of you don't agree with this shit. A lot of you just won't stand the fuck up because you're afraid to. Because you'll be shouted down. You'll be seen as an outsider. You'll be seen as a blasphemer. You're a sinner. Why would you walk into church and start screaming, God damn it, at everything? What's going to happen to you? What's going to happen if you go in and say, Jesus Christ was a piece of shit pedophile who fucks sheep? What's going to happen to you in that church if you go against the doctrine, if you go against the scripture? You say Jesus didn't exist. What's going to happen? The same thing is going to happen to you if you speak out against the party line, the propaganda line. The recycled, regenerated propaganda line, the wallpaper lining each and every wall of the echo chamber. If you start to peel that away, people are going to get pissed. You know it, I know it, everybody knows it. What I'm trying to get through to your fucking head is don't lose contact with that. Do not lose connection with your own original thoughts and opinions on this and don't, don't, do not make the mistake of assuming that those thoughts and opinions are your own, at least the ones you're tethered to. If you've just adopted it because it puts you in a position of feeling elevated and superior to those guys, ah, yeah, I, I like this neo-feminism because that makes me a lead. Oh, look at me. No, I don't know. Then it's probably not yours. Could be. Probably not. Do not lose connection with those sort of cynical, blasphemous thoughts you have that go against the party-line doctrine. For the love of Christ, don't. He goes on to say that this is the basic condition of the political organization of the modern world, and propaganda is the instrument to attain this effect. Oh, here we go. An example that shows the radical devaluation of thought. Thought is the transformation of words in propaganda. Word napping, changing meanings. He says language, which he calls the instrument of the mind, yeah, becomes quote pure sound, unquote, a symbol directly evoking feelings and reflexes. Oh, that sounds familiar. A symbol directly evoking feelings and reflexes. That sounds suspiciously like visceral responses. Oh, yeah. A symbol directly evoking feelings and reflexes. Children in cages! Children in cages!
2: Children in cages!
0: Children in cages! cages! Concentration camps at the border! Concentration camps at the border! Visceral responses. Evoking feelings and reflexes. Transformations of words, symbols directly evoking feelings and reflexes, children in cages. It's evoking a feeling and a reflex of disgust, isn't it? It doesn't matter that they're not really in cages. Not to the propagandist and not to the addicted propagandee. It doesn't matter. It's the feeling that matters, the outrage, the righteousness, the self-righteousness, the elevated self-superiority of it that's what matters that's why word napping is dangerous that's why it needs to be called out whenever it happens i forget who it was i got his name in my head uh who the hell was oh god damn it I, anyway he was talking about there's this other guy he, uh, he wrote in the early, early, 20th, early, early 20th century. I cannot remember his name, but he, it's down the line of what Neil Postman said about he who defines as your master. He also said that you got to be careful of people hijacking words because these words are based on a common understanding of the word. And when somebody tries to take that common understanding and reposition it somewhere else, you have to be careful of that person and who you're dealing with. That's what this is, the transformation of words in propaganda. And fine, okay, do you want a couple of examples from the right? We can do that, too. I should be, maybe I should be a little more balanced about this. How about radical agenda? It's all over Fox News. A Democrat's radical agenda. All the Democrats and their radical agenda. Element of truth there. Children are in these detention centers, right? There are detention centers down there. Are they concentration camps? Are these cells really cages? Well, no. But there's a foundation, a kernel of truth that allows you to believe it. It allows you to activate the can I believe this thing that I talked about last week and will talk about again. (sighs) There's a caravan coming from Central America. Invaders, murderers, and thieves. They're all over the place. They're, they're, one side doesn't have an exclusive use of this. They don't they're not the only ones doing it. Everybody does it. And it's something to watch out for. If you hear anybody doing that intentionally, beware of that person. And if you hear somebody else, somebody in your personal life mindlessly repeating it, mindlessly parroting that shit, get the fuck away. Get the fuck away. You want to get me instantly out of your life? Just utter children in cages to me. Or concentration camps at the border. I know what I'm dealing with then. It's not good. I will go away. It's a good way. I mean, that's great. You never have to deal with me again. Sweet. A lot of people love that idea. (sighs) This is one of the most serious dissociations that propaganda causes. According to Mr. Alul, one of the most serious dissociations that propaganda causes is the transformation of words in propaganda, word-napping. There is another. And he says it's the dissociation (laughs) between the verbal universe in which propaganda makes us live and reality. The dissociation between the verbal universe in which propaganda makes us live and reality, the real world. Propaganda sometimes deliberately separates people from reality in favor of the abstract, imaginary, verbal world propaganda itself creates. And then it tends to destroy man's conscience. How he actually feels. Yeah, if you're not living in reality, how do you know how to interpret reality and how to feel about it? Of course your conscience, as he's using the word, of course your conscience is destroyed. has nothing to feed on. It's not feeding on reality, it's feeding on bullshit. Yeah, I'm telling you, this is huge. Those two things right there, the transformation of words and propaganda and the dissociation between the verbal universe that propaganda itself creates and reality are two hugely important things that we are awash in today. What he's talking about here, the verbal universe, it's our version of the matrix. We're taking this verbal universe and digitizing it. It is becoming the matrix. It cuts to the core of what we're dealing with here in 2019. This is the social media disease. I wish Alul were alive today to tie this into the technological tethering and constant immersion to technology that we're experiencing now. I have to wonder, has modern propaganda mutated? It is something else with the advent of constantly connected tech. Has it become part of us now? We're constantly bombarded with it. I'm going to get into the, the the need for propaganda in the next episode. Has it become something else? Have we become addicts, junkies? I mean, he's talking about being addicted to this shit in 1965. Network television, over-the-air radio and newspapers. Fucking posters on the fucking street. What is this? This device, these fucking phones in our pocket every day being bombarded on television every single day. Billboards. Everywhere we're being... Pay attention. I've I've said this before. It's going to drive you nuts. Just one day or two days, maybe for a week if you're really strong, pay attention to every time you're bombarded with something trying to sell you something. I don't care if it's advertising or political. Advertising or propaganda. I don't care. Pay attention to how often you're being bombarded with this shit. Particularly pay attention to how rarely you notice it. That's the conditioning here. They are conditioning us not to notice it. But it still has an effect. This is, this is where advertising and propaganda sort of hold hands. As they drag us into the uh, toxic wasteland. Advertising and propaganda are related. We'll get to that later on, too, probably in another episode. But consider all this a bit of foreshadowing for the next section, because we have I, I think we have become junkies being fed our drug through this digital fucking IV called a smartphone. That's constantly there. People cannot do without it. Watch a baseball game and watch how many people's faces are buried into their fucking screen while they're watching a game they just paid in these seats $100 for. Or walking down the street, sitting at a table with their friends in a movie fucking theater. How often are people's faces buried in these devices? And this is the propaganda delivery mechanism. I mean, again, I'm going to reiterate this. Alul was talking about people who were far more organic in 1965 than we are today. And he was talking about them already being clueless about the world in which they live. And they were tethered to it more than we are. The actual world. The real organic, not the digital world. Not your Twitter account, not your buddy, not your Facebook friend over there in China. The real world. The one outside your window. And he was talking about them depending upon their propaganda of choice to define it for them and making their judgments accordingly back in 1965. What he calls here the verbal universe in 2019 parlance is the matrix. It's the verbal universe digitized. The matrix is what I've called electronic eyes. I've called it that for 15 years. Interpreting the world through your screens through an electronic device rather than seeing it for your fucking self. Making judgments about people down south, them fucking rednecks down there in North Carolina without ever going to North Carolina, without without ever walking around in Greensboro. Or those fucking smelly liberals out in San Francisco without ever going to San Francisco and walking around or walking around the hate Golden Gate Park. Fucking Texans without ever paying a visit to San Antonio or Houston. Don't go to Amarillo. Amarillo is a shithole. It smells... Amarillo stinks. I'm I'm sorry. If you've ever driven across the band, hell, Amarillo, don't go to Amarillo. It smells, I guess, like a like a uh, 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 beef butchery. What are the, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Stockyards or something like that. It's just terrible. Oh, my God. It's the worst-smelling city, including Chicago, in the entire country. Avoid Amarillo, but the rest of Texas. I'd highly recommend going down there and checking it out before you make your judgments, but you don't have to because you got your electronic eyeballs to let you know exactly what's out there, don't you? Oh, no. Nothing skewed about the agenda or anything, huh? You're not getting a skewed perspective of the world through these electronic eyes. You're getting the same perspective you would get if you walk through a fun house, a fun house full of those funky ass mirrors, distorted. But yet that's the thing, and they were doing this, and I'm not it being too I shouldn't be too condemning here, because they were doing the same thing in 1965. This is a human thing. This is a result of mass media. This is a result of the expanding of our horizons with mass instantaneous media, where our world doesn't end with our influence anymore. The world has extended beyond the end of our noses indefinitely. Indefinitely, and whether or not anything that's happening in Belgium affects us directly, we feel like it does. We feel a part of that. This does go away when you disconnect. I told the story before. Was in Peru a few years ago when that big shooting, the big terrorist attack. I don't think it, it might have been the Charlie Hebdo. I don't remember what it was because I wasn't connected. We didn't find out about that. Being up at the Andes without internet access, we didn't find out about that thing for two weeks until somebody came in and actually met, happened to mention it. Why? Because we weren't connected. We didn't give a fuck what was happening beyond that mountain range or to the other side of the field. That was the end of the world. That was the end of everything because that was the end of our experience. Technology has expanded that, but you can't go see it. You can't walk to the other side of this proverbial field and go check that mountain out. You can't afford it. You don't have the time to do it because your life demands other things. So you rely on these distortions brought into your mind by the electronic devices in your hands, your electronic eyes, yet you don't understand or you don't internalize that they're distortions. You think because you're making these judgments, oh, I guess I'll believe this, this sounds great to me, that you're getting the real picture. You're not. And that's the power of propagandizing the blind. You can exploit anything, any of the myriad of human defects, starting with ego and starting with the need to explain everything, being unable to explain the world and being unable to explain and understand your individual position within it. That can be exploited along with an incredible amount of laziness and egocentricity. We all have it. We all want to feel elevated. That can be exploited. We all want to feel superior. I'm sick and tired of hearing about white supremacy. I really am, because I see whites acting like supremacists every day on MSNBC. Just because they're not targeting blacks, it's supremacy is supremacy, fucknut. It is. What about ideological supremacy? Supremacy is supremacy. I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. And that shit can be exploited. It is exploited constantly. Again, what Alul calls the verbal universe in 2019 is the matrix. I've called this electronic eyes for 15 years. Neil Postman, going back to this original point, he who defines is your master. That's Neil Postman. Now, he wrote that in the context of language. He who defines words for you is your master. I think oh yeah i think that concept stretches far higher than words he who defines the world for you since you can't go see it or won't is your master he controls you he who defines what's happening in israel or in saudi arabia or with the fight with isis is your master choose your master wisely Choose your master wisely. Again, narratives are a peculiar thing, and propaganda at its core is a narrative. It's how you choose to interpret your political world. It is a narrative. It's a a book in the Bible. It's the same thing. The story you choose to believe and digest, that's propaganda. And I think there's an element here... (laughs) I mentioned this before. I still got the stack of papers. And narratives are essential. We need them to explain things we can't understand for ourselves. We are not that evolved. We need stories. We need bedtime stories to make sure that we understand that there's not a boogeyman beneath the bed. We're children in that way. Still. Oh, me, I'm not a child. Shut the fuck up. Yes, you are. You have narratives. I have narratives. Everybody's got narratives. Narratives. Be careful, though, who you're getting your bedtime stories from. Check the agenda, especially if that agenda is one you agree with because you're probably being exploited one way or another. I've got another thing coming, man. I've got this. I'm going to do a whole show on narratives, and I'm probably going to tie in this thing uh, on the solitary man to it. This will be a full episode. Probably going to be in a week or two. It's all written up. I could do it right now if I wanted to. If I wanted this podcast to go three or four hours, I could do it right now. I don't. But pay attention, listen for that. We're going to get into Lipman Bernays, all sorts of people when we start talking about uh, narratives. Uh, what's his name? Noah Noah Harari. You've all heard Harari, the guy who wrote Sapiens. He's got an excellent chunk of that book about narratives. Narratives are a big deal. They're stories. Just like the Bible, they're parables. They explain things for us. Propaganda falls into that. Be careful who is defining both words and the world. For you, I must continue. (sighs) didn't intend for that to go that long. Now, in connection with the problem of dissociation... (laughs) Alul, I'm the master of the segue, aren't I? In connection with the, prob- uh, the problem of dissociation. Alul next considers what's become the digital plague of the 21st century. Here in America, it's the case of an individual subjected to intense, opposing propagandas equally close to him. Equally intense, opposing propagandas who are equally close to you. The left and the right. (sighs) Not a stupid man. Alul says such a situation can occur in a democracy. (laughs) Go figure. It is sometimes said that the two competing propagandas cancel each other out. If, however, one regards propaganda not as a debate of ideas or the pushing of a doctrine, but defines it as a psychological manipulation designed to produce action. One understands that these two propagandas, far from canceling each other out because they are contradictory, have a cumulative effect. They don't cancel each other out. They pile up on you. I've used this analogy before. It's brilliant. A boxer groggy from a left hook does not return to normal when he's hit with a right hook. He becomes groggier, more confused. The modern propagandist likes to speak of the shock effect, and it is indeed a psychological shock that the person subjected to propaganda suffers. But a second shock, Alul says from another angle, certainly does not revive the propagandee. It's perfect. You're getting hit from the left, you're getting hit from the right. They cancel each other out? Really? I'd like to box at your gym. Aloua continues that this uh, effect of the double shock is so well known that it is utilized as a technique. This might sound familiar to you. It is utilized as a technique in a single propaganda by the user of either contradictory news, I'll come back to this, or a tranquilizing propaganda designed to appease the public before launching a great shock that will be felt all the more violently. For example, making propaganda for peace before releasing a violent psychological offensive. I'm really struck by the first part of this. This double shock is so well known. The effect of this double shock is so well known that it is utilized as a technique in a single propaganda by the user of either contradictory news or the rest of that. Contradictory news. So in other words, is there a double shock with putting Trump On MSNBC and then coming back with, I don't know, somebody eviscerating Trump or vice versa. Putting these democratic socialists that I opened the show with, putting them on Fox News and then having one of the uh, conservative firebrands come out and propagandize from the other side. Double shock effect, right? I think we see this a lot. I think it's all over the place. And it could fall into this, could fall into the agitation propaganda thing that I'm going to talk about probably next week. Second phenomenon is then produced by these contradictory propagandas. The man whose psychological mechanisms have been set in motion to make him take one action is stopped by the second shock, which acts on the same mechanism to produce yet another action. The guy's a fucking pinball machine, he's a pinball inside of a machine psychologically he's a pinball bouncing off the bumpers the propaganda bumpers the fact that this man will finally vote for anybody at all he points out is not the important point the fact that he's going to vote at all doesn't matter what counts is that his normal psychological processes are perverted his word i love it his Normal psychological processes are perverted and will continue to be constantly perverted, manipulated, to defend himself against that. Understandably, man automatically reacts in one of two ways. First, he says he could take refuge in inertia. What's inertia? In which case, propaganda may provoke his rejection. An escape. Get the fuck away from this. Been there. An escape into private life. Exorcism. (laughs) Sounds familiar. Get this away from me. Get it all away from me. And the quote unquote ideal. That's explained as a way of fleeing the contradictions of modern life. He shuts down, runs. Sounds good, doesn't it? Hold on for a minute. Alul continues by saying that conflicting propaganda of opposing parties is essentially what leads to political abstention, not participating. I abstain. I suspect a lot of years just perked up. This is not, though, the abstention of the free spirit which asserts itself, he says. You're not doing this by your own free will. Oh, no. It is the result of resignation. Giving the fuck up. The man has not decided to abstain. Under diverse pressures, subjected to shocks and distortions, he can no longer, even if he wanted to, perform a political act. And more serious, this inhibition not only is political, but also progressively takes over the whole of his being and leads to a general attitude of surrender in every aspect of his life. He is a beaten man. Submissive. I've got this next part highlighted even on the page here. As long as political debates were of little importance and election propaganda dealt with things like water supplies or rural electrification, okay, the escape reflex was not affecting people's entire lives. But propaganda grows in effectiveness when its themes cause more anxiety. I would like you to think back to 2001, maybe sometime around September. Today, when we are concerned with the rise of dictators, these are, this is his words now, today when we're concerned with the rise of dictators or the approach of war, the individual cannot avoid feeling himself drawn in. He cannot just shrug his shoulders, but he's rendered passive by propaganda. The same situation can be found when two contradictory propagandas succeed each other chronologically in time. He uses the example of skepticism in Germany among the youth after 1945. Something called the One Mische. I don't know what that is. Some movement, but it sprung up from the counter-shock propaganda that was opposed to Nazi propaganda they had been immersed in. And similarly, he uses the Hungarian Revolution of October of 56, where uh, youth threw itself into nihilism, indifference, and personal concerns. Withdrew into themselves. These examples demonstrate not the ineffectiveness of propaganda, oh no, but on the contrary, its power to profoundly disturb psychic life. So that's political abstention. That's one reaction to these conflicting propagandas, right? There's another. It'll wrap this segment up. It's the uh, defensive reflex into involvement. Flight into involvement. You become activized. Political involvement widespread today. This is 1965, remember. Because man can no longer bear to remain aloof in that arena of aggressive competition between propagandas. I don't care if that's 1965, that describes things perfectly here in 2019. Political involvement is widespread today because man can no longer bear to remain aloof in that arena of aggressive competition between propagandists. No longer capable of resisting opposing pulls, which reach the deepest levels of his personality, the individual becomes, quote, involved. <laughs> he joins a party. To which he then ties himself as totally and deeply as his internalized propaganda, his now internalized propaganda, had intended to happen. And from then on, his problems are solved. Oh, yeah. He escapes the opposing clash of propaganda. And now, all that his side says is true and right. Yep. All that comes from elsewhere is false and wrong. Blasphemers, they're evil
3: you are full of shit.
0: Uh-uh. My propaganda says no. Whoa. And here you go, Matt. Thus, one propaganda arms him against the other propagandas. Convenient, isn't it? This dualism is not entirely contradictory, Alul says. It can be complementary. He says, to illustrate, there's a 1959 study observed, uh, observing rather that uh, youth were distrustful of all political action. I think this was in France. In 1959, the youth were distrustful of all political action, but were at the same time inclined toward extreme solutions. Sound familiar? <laughs> See chameleon lying there in the sun. All things to everyone, run, run away. See chameleon lying there in the sun. All things to everyone, run, run away. It's one of my favorite songs from the '80s, Matt. I had Britney Fox queued up. You're lucky you got this today, my friend. I think I'm accepting my demographic here. This is from uh, early 80s. band called Slade. If you haven't seen the video, Run, Runaway, Slade, go check it out, man. It's fantastic. One of the best things to come out of the 1980s. It's the Escaping the Cave podcast. ChristopherMedia.net, EscapingtheCave.com. That's where you can get me. Should we do one more hook here? Oh, hell Yeah. And full disclosure, by the way, you know, I do take requests here at the podcast. If you have one, shoot it to me at, uh, yeah, that's a good use for Twitter. <laughs> bumper music requests. Run right away from Twitter. I'm about to. At ETC pod, send me your bumper music requests. Actually, I had one for Matt this week. He wanted to hear Striper. To hell with the devil. You're really a big fan of those guys. They're the guys that uh, dressed up like bumblebees and sang about Jesus to these kind of rips in the 80s. I have never imagined that Matt would be a fan. That was his request. I don't have it. I'm sorry, bud. I do not have any Christian rock on my hard drive. It's Jesus free. <laughs> Try again, though. Send me something else. Yeah, I said a minute ago, I'm getting used to my demo. I think I have a Target demo. If you don't understand Slade and you don't understand the hairband stuff, you may be too young for this podcast. I keep directing people to Guys We Fucked. It's a great show. That might be your speed. But I think I'm going to do little clips like this. Maybe songs you haven't heard in a few years. Maybe some tunes you forgot. It's fun. I really enjoy looking for these things. I do my main segment. I just finished the main one up, and I spent about 15 minutes just going through my music and detoxing. Just sort of... And that's the point of these bumpers. I want to just sort of like, okay, let's relax a little bit. (laughs) Just for a minute, I noticed a couple of things going on. I'm not really happy with the way... Chris and Rich were great. They always are. They, They did a really good job last week. This has nothing to do with either one of those two. I'm not really happy with the way the podcasts went with those guys last week. As far as I am concerned, though, and it leads me to believe... I may have a problem here that I have to correct. One of the things that I've noticed with this uh, book, and one of the things that I've taken out of it, is the idea that if you reject one propaganda, that you will possibly (laughs) adopt the opposite. If you are in a situation where you have these opposing competing propagandas, that if you reject one, you may just run to the other one and grab onto that harder harder than you were attached to the one before i'm afraid that i am sort of edging i'm caught in this ideological riptide this ideological drift that i experienced myself uh, about 10 years ago with tea party and palin i wasn't i was more of a libertarian dude uh, back about that time, I was all about guns. I liked guns. I thought the, the guns were a, a nice remedy against a tyrannical government. I didn't trust the government in anything. Still don't, for the most part. But I was right in the middle. Hated hippies. The one thing I can always, I can honestly say that I've been consistent on ideologically, from the beginning, I hate hippies. I despise those people. Those hippies. Um, I've experienced hippiedom. I've experienced all sorts of hippies traveling around and backpacking around Latin America. I've experienced them. I like rednecks a whole hell of a lot more, and that's always been the case. Is this true? I don't like hippies. You annoy me. You're pretentious fucks. I don't like you. That's what you remind me of that's been consistent all the way through. But since I left the resistance a couple of years ago, I have found myself, particularly lately, I found myself drifting and being a little more susceptible to this agitation propaganda that I've talked about. And I've come to conclude, I haven't prepared this, I should have, I was going to use it for another piece. I'm going to talk about it right now. The intellectual dark web is most definitely an ostentatious propaganda organization. Now, they will tell you that they're unaffiliated and we don't have a definition. 80 to 90% of their stuff attacks the far left. I'm not saying they're making things up. A lot of the stuff that they talk about is real. The problem is the context in which they present it, its unbalanced nature, only attacking the most egregious things going on, on the left while ignoring the metastasizing tumor sitting in the White House, ignoring Donald Trump, ignoring the problems with Trumpism. And I've noticed what this did to me over the last year. I started paying attention to these guys in March of last year. I was really excited about finding these guys. I thought it was something that was just critical thought, right? And in some cases, it is. But as a collective unit that is most definitely, most definitely an agitation propaganda, organization they are presenting the very worst of the fringe left the college academia problem and it is a problem i'm not saying it's not a problem remember Goebbels, all the way back to Goebbels, says you know the best propaganda uses truth it uses elements of truth it takes truth inflates it spins it and uses it for a specific purpose I don't know that they're really intending for this to happen. I don't really care. You know, Matt asked me last week if I thought that Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow knew they were propagandists. My reply to him was that Hannity reminds me of Glenn Beck. I think he does know exactly what he's doing. Maddow may not. And quite honestly, part of my response was practically I don't think it matters. The effect is the same whether they know it or not, really is inconsequential. And I'm applying the same standard to the IDW. They may think that they're fart-sniffing intellectuals. Only in search of truth, we're following our science wherever it leads us. That's not the effect they're having. And I'm only going to speak, and I'm only going to say this, in using my own experience. After swimming around over there and finding stuff on academia, Obviously, college campuses, stuff like that. Also, the anti-male neo-feminist hate mob on the left. Oh, they love that, too. I've found that I have been very susceptible lately to things like that piece of disinformation about Antifa that popped into my feed uh, a couple of months back and sent me off. I was primed. It's a perfect example of how I, even being hyper-aware of this, was propagandized. My mind was primed to react in a certain way. It was primed by everybody over at the IDW doing their thing, throwing all their anti left shit up there, their unbalanced anti left stuff. Their theme, their product. (laughs) It's exactly what it is, too. It's a product. Throwing it out there, priming my mind, my personal mind, I'm, I'm speaking first-hand experience here, priming that so when I saw this other piece of shit, this piece of disinformation that came across, targeting Antifa, trying to invoke this, vis- uh, this visceral response that I talked about, I was primed, boom, that was the fuse ignited. That came from the IDW. The piece of disinformation stands on its own. There is accountability there. The priming, though, the priming of the mechanism came from the IDW. And I noticed this last week. I'm sitting here listening to this podcast. I listen to all my stuff. Of course I'm narcissistic. Of course I'm going to listen to myself. But I'm listening to this last week, and I can see it. I can see where this shit's coming from now. My alarms are going off. I'm going too far here. And I'm feeling myself getting sucked into this vortex because, like this fucking book says, it's really easy to run away from that side and get sucked into this side. Where are you supposed to go? Where exactly are you supposed to go? What are you supposed to do? With all this data and all this information, that is the key. It's always been the key. It's going to continue to be the key. It's always going to be it. There's another line from this book. I have it sitting right here in front of me by accident, actually. But this this is perfect. At the same time, propaganda presents facts and values, in quotes, in such confusion and with so many methods, it is literally impossible for the average man to proceed with discernment. He has neither the intellectual capacity nor the adequate sources of untainted information. Even if it seems untainted, it's not anymore. There's always an agenda attached to it. For the love of fuck, he is therefore forced to either accept or reject everything in total. You don't have the resources. I... Confession time? I'll step into the confessional. I wish I had some church music here. I don't have the resources for that either. Nobody does. Nobody can sort through all this fucking shit and judge every piece of information and data as being
3: truthful or factual.
0: No, you eventually have to just take everything in total. If you're going to wallow in this field of data, you're going to have to accept one scripture or another. That's the only way you can do it. You do not have the resources, time, patience, none of it. You are not smart enough. You do not have the intellectual capacity to sort all of this shit out. I don't either. Nobody does. I'm a good example of what happens If you're not careful. And another theme in this book. That he repeats over and over and over again. And I probably should be saying this more often. That nobody nobody is immune to this. It doesn't matter how alert you are. It doesn't matter how informed, how aware of it you are. Nobody is imperfect. Nobody's mind can withstand this. The only solution. The only solution. Combining data overload with the propaganda industrial complex. And this this runs through Height, Nicholas Carr, Neil Postman, McLuhan, Marshall McLuhan in the 60s, as well as Jefferson. Thomas friggin' Jefferson, the man who knows nothing, is closer to the truth than the man who believes falsehood. The man who's uninformed is closer to the truth than the man who's misinformed. The only solution, because we've reached the same point via different routes... One hand, propaganda destroys the critical faculty, critical thought. It destroys it. If you're immersed in one element or another, you can't think for yourself anymore. The ability atrophies. And on the other hand, it presents objectives on which that faculty could not possibly be exercised. That is the data overload that we all experience with these fucking pieces of technology in our pockets all the time and 200 channels to choose from each. Every single one of them, in one way or another, unless you're watching soccer or baseball. And half the time, even baseball does it now. <laughs> you're being propaganda. You're being hit all the time. So even if you have that faculty, even if you have that critical thought faculty, it's rendered useless by being inundated, by being flooded. It's like, the, it's like you're sitting in your car. You've got a Maserati sitting in the driveway. You've got a great mind. You're ready to go. And you sit there just pumping the gas in the driveway for an hour before you turn the key. Great car you got there. It's fucking useless. It's flooded. The only solution, the only prophylactic, propaganda prophylactic, say that three times fast, the only propaganda prophylactic is abstinence. It's the only thing that's going to be effective. How do you even achieve that now? How? I tried last week. I really did. I tried over the weekend as well. I still found out about just Jeffrey Epstein. I didn't go looking for it. I didn't have the news on. I still found out about it. I still heard the conspiracy theories. How? Always tethered. Always connected to something. There is always something coming in. There is always something hitting you, be it advertising, be it propaganda, agenda. Doesn't matter. You're always being bombarded with data. You cannot escape it unless you basically, unless you take the Internet out of your home and get rid of cable television. And you know what? How many of you have smartphones that are that have data plans? (laughs) How many depend on your smartphones now for navigation? There's another theme. Postman had a great uh, wrote a great book. Another book of his is um, Technopoly. It talks about being becoming dependent upon technology and losing certain abilities, losing uh, abilities that we used to have when we can become too dependent upon technology. But how many people depend on their, their cell phones now for navigation? You don't have to go out and buy a garmin. To navigate around Chicago, you just pull your phone out and put an address in. Your phone tells you where to go. So even if you wanted to disconnect, even if you were aware of the problem of being propagandized all the fucking time, would you be able to get rid of your smartphone now, even if you wanted to? And that doesn't even address the problem and the fact that it's a a trade-off we're willing to make now. Most people are willing to make it. They don't care if they're being advertised and propagandized all the fucking time. They do not care because it's a trade-off they're willing to, to make for the technology, the convenience, and the enjoy, the sheer enjoyment of the technology. There is no sausage party hope coming here, kids. I've warned you, I've warned you, and I've warned you. There is no sausage party hope coming, the only hope, the only reason I'm doing this is it out of the hope, <laughs> the sausage party hope, there's few people out there that really are interested in this, that are really interested in at least semi-protecting themselves, at least becoming aware of the problem so as to not be as much of a part of it as they can. But look, in all honesty, this is a triage situation here. This isn't going away. This isn't something we're going to cure. There's going to be a mass movement starting. An anti-propaganda mass movement. No, people love their narratives. People want their narratives. People want to feel superior to someone else. Propaganda exploits all of that. And it exploits it because you want it. You have a need for this stuff. We all apparently do. I've still got my smartphone. I haven't cut my internet connection I'm still watching the telly. And I'm still getting sucked into this shit. I'm going to say this one more time about the intellectual dark web. I'm done with them. I'm not going to have any more conversations with anybody affiliated with it. I'm done. That is a propaganda uh, echo chamber. I've experienced what happens to it. I've felt it. I'm saying this from personal experience. I had this happen to me by exposing myself to that group of people. The Quillette crowd. They are a propaganda organization. I don't even want to call them an organization. Just a group. A gaggle. A ostentatious propaganda gaggle. Sending you a product every day. A propaganda product every day. And oh, by the way, donate to my Patreon. Look at how many followers I have. I'm influencing. You're propagandizing. Yeah, you're influencing, all right. You're also propagandizing however many followers you have in your Twitter feed. I don't uh, presume to think anybody from the intellectual dark web is listening to me. If you are, stop. Stop. You're priming people's minds. Preparing them for that fuse to be detonated by whatever fucking disinformation they find elsewhere on the internet. You are part of the fucking problem. Oh no, I'm not. You wouldn't know it if you were. It's one thing these intellectuals, one of the another one of the biggest things that I've taken out of this book is that propaganda, if you're an intellectual, if you're a smart guy you're no less susceptible to this shit than anybody else. You're just as susceptible as the toothless redneck in the trailer park down there in Georgia. In fact, you may be more susceptible because your intellect or your belief in your intellect allows you to spin more and more creative, elaborate bullshit. Heights Elephant shits piles of feces that are maybe a meter taller than anybody else's. That's the only fucking difference. Another thing that I uh, was thinking about this week, if you want to find out, or if you're unsure if an outlet is disseminating egregious amounts of propaganda, ask the people who hate them. Ask the people who hate those outlets. That really is, if you think about it, That's a really good way to tell. I mean, imagine a liberal trying to watch Fox News. They can't. Why is that? Because they can see the propaganda. And the Fox viewer can't. The person who agrees with the content will never be able to see, let alone admit that they're being propagandized. But somebody who's not will always be able to see it. Ask a Fox News viewer to check out MSNBC sometime. Ask somebody in the middle or to the right to watch NPR. Or listen to NPR. I have some really good friends, some really smart friends, who do not understand and do not, are not able and not capable of seeing how NPR is a propaganda outlet. I'm sorry, it's a little less glitzy. There's not as much hype. It is a propaganda outlet. That's why nobody on the right listens to it. That's why nobody who's really unaffiliated or isn't edging to the left, really nobody listens to that. Very few people. I think Rich does. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he pulls that out. He may be doing it for research. Because he likes to <laughs> sample different things. So you can see the... Pro- I give him credit on that. I can't... Well, yeah, I can. I do that too. <laughs> but that, that may be the best. Listen to the opponents of said outlet. If they think it's propaganda, listen to them. Take a little bit of what they're saying at face value. And maybe you'll be able to see it. I don't know. I, I don't know. I thought this was going to pro- prove to be a little more hopeful exercise, and it's proving to be, but it's not. This is—it's damning of the human species. Our minds, man—we have no concept of how defective these minds and brains of ours are, at our own perspective. And it's it's really weird because the personal perspective all of a sudden morphs into the the chosen perspective morphs into the personal truth and what we see choose to perceive as truth. <sighs> you want propaganda? You need propaganda. That's what we're going to talk about in the next episode: the need for propaganda and how it's created and what it feels like. Oh, it's glorious. The next two are great. I encourage you, highly encourage you to listen to these. Very informative. Please. It's a rubber for your mind. Kind of. It's got a few holes in it. Escape of the Cave is the name of the podcast. EscapeoftheCave.com is the website. ChristopherMedia.net is Chris's network. Check out all the great shows over there. For all your podcast needs, it's
2: ChristopherMedia.net.
0: And until next time, thanks for clicking in and so long.